Hey guys, welcome back to Divine Healing by D. Today I have on Reverend and Dr. Patricia Keel. She is a spiritual life coach, entrepreneur. She's all about self-discovery and empowerment. She has her doctorate in ministry. She also started the spiritual center in Berkeley in 2000. And since 2006, she's traveled to India 20 times and help thousands of spiritual seekers awaken to higher consciousness and extraordinary lives. We're going to talk about her India trips. She gave us some really great tools to live a more of an enlightened life, how to establish boundaries. She's going to talk about the lotus factor, explain what that is, uh, awakening the power of consciousness, and some more things. I hope you like this episode. It was really insightful. And she's super wise. So here is Patricia. Tell us more about your trip to India. Oh, so I've been going to India since 2006. And uh, I've been actually 20 times. Many times I've taken groups of people. And you know, when I go, I go to the same community, although it's not always the exact same campus. But I go to a place that originally was called Oneness, uh, Oneness University. It's now called ACOM, the World Center for Enlightenment. And I've been going there, taking classes myself to move into a deeper awareness of the presence of the divine and ultimately to bring people there so that we can move into a state of enlightenment as a collective. Because as you know, divine healing is what it's all about. Absolutely. And, and did you, the first time that you went there, did you feel, uh, maybe like a possibly like a past life connection to India and the culture? Actually, the crazy thing was how I got there was because a friend, I, I am, I'm a retired minister. I had a unity mm-hmm. church in Berkeley that I founded years ago. And one day a friend of mine came, he called me and he said, I want to come over. I've been to India. And what happened was the minute he walked through the the door of my office, I just had this overwhelming feeling, you're going to India. And Mm -hmm. I had never had any desire for that at all. But he came and he shared a bit of his experience. And then he gave me this transmission uh, on my head called Diksha. And I was just in a just a beautiful place of peace for a long time. The relationship with my daughter kind of began to be really easy instead of strained uh, and and within three months, my partner Roy and I were in India for 21 days. Wow! So I can't say it, I can't say it was a past life, but it was something yeah. pulled me just um, instantly. And that was 2005 when he came. So it's been a number of years since I've been doing the work with India and also just helping other people on the journey and and my own spiritual work as as a metaphysical minister, essentially. Love it. So what was like the first thing that you saw that they were doing differently than us and you thought to yourself like, hey, you know, we're doing it all wrong. We should adopt this method or this teaching or this practice. Well, I have to say what happened for me was that I I got pretty knocked out just about every time I went into one of the classrooms. I was in a very mm. small group 
and I, they would do a teaching, and most of the times I really wasn't even following the teaching because I, I, was in, I got put into such a state of peacefulness and calm. I used to walk back to my, my room and just kind of flop on the bed, and I'd be out for hours. You know, somebody'd wake wow. me up, and it was lunchtime. Yeah, yeah. So it was a very transcendental experience. And the funny thing was, my partner was on a different campus, and he was there with a lot of people. Um, I was on a campus, and we had we had indigenous healers from all over the world that had been invited. So it was a very unusual and really cool group of people, but very small. And my partner was on a campus with a lot of people, and they were very structured classes, and they were doing pujas, fire ceremonies. They were doing lots of different teachings on pranayamas, which is breath meditation, where you learn different practices of breath and finger connection, moving the energy through the nadis and chakras. And when I saw him after a week, we met at this one campus, I was so jealous that he <laughs> he had all these cool new practices, and I had just been knocked out, you know, for a week. So... Yeah. Over time, of course, I've learned a lot of these practices and uh, teach them myself and continue to deepen my understanding of the ancient mystical practices that are embodied in each one of us. Uh, that is really the tradition and deep embedded wisdom from that comes from India. Wow, that's lovely. So is there anything else that you'd like to learn that you haven't learned from them yet and implement into your everyday life? <laughs> or did you get all that's a great, or? that's sort of a, that's kind of a question that we can't answer because if I knew what it was that I need to learn, I'd probably go after it. But the cool mm-hmm. thing about my life right now is I'm in a very deep state of peace and calm most of the time. So I, mm-hmm. I don't have a lot of mental activity I had okay. a an awakening in 2012, and when I was in India, on 12-12-12 was my awakening date. And after that time, so it's been you know it'll be two, it'll be ten years this December. Yeah. After after that time, my uh, my inner state has been, let's just say, tipped more toward peace and calm than agitation, conflict, stress. Um, worry, you know, all of that other stuff that used to be part of my life for many, many years. Mm-hmm. So it's not that I'm that way all the time, but I'm much more able to notice when it happens and I have tools that really I can instantly use to bring myself back. So I don't know if that really answered your question. I, I think I'm just always um, I'm always open to the mm-hmm. possibility of of deepening the connection. And then because I'm a spiritual teacher and a, and a spiritual life coach, the things that I learned from India, I love to be able to share, you know, with, with clients and in my classes. That's beautiful. I love that. So is the Lotus factor what you share? Tell us more about it. Oh, okay. So I, I love the Lotus factor. So I'm actually um, involved with a a group of women called New World Women, and I'm one of their luminaries, which means I'm a teacher that they've vetted to be able to teach their people, their women. Um, 
And the Lotus factor is something that I will be doing a class on with them. I'm not sure what the date is because they're just launching New World Women in the next month or so. But the Lotus factor is this incredible awareness that if you've ever seen a Lotus, you know, we see Lotus all the time. People use it for their yoga mm-hmm. signatures. and But in India and on the campus where I normally stay, they have ponds with lotus floating in the ponds. And if you get up early in the morning and you go for a walk, you'll see that the lotus is completely closed up. It's like, it looks like a little, um, I don't know, what would you say? Kind of like a, almost like a candle, the way it's folded up upon itself. And it's rooted in this muddy water. And when when you're there and there's not a lot of water in the ponds, you can see how it's just really this little thing sticking up there in the mud. But what's happening once the sun comes out, then the lotus begins to open. So every day it opens and closes and opens and closes in this way. And the great metaphor is that it is rooted in the mud. And Mm -hmm. this is the piece that I think so many of us, we get stuck in the mud of our life. We get stuck in those places where things are hard and we can't figure out how to, you know, how to really get ourselves out. Think about roots that are caught in mud. I mean, literally, like you're in there and you can't pull out. But there is this, this capacity that we have that comes through our connection to the light, thinking, you know, the sun, whatever, just the daylight, the expansion that we have, when we allow ourselves to connect in that way, there's an opening that happens that allows the grace and the beauty and the love and the, the that which we truly are to be seen and to be known, not only by ourselves, but also to be known by others. And so to me, for us to be able to embrace and be grateful for the mud in our life Mm -hmm. and to know that even in that experience there's there's an opening that's available to us Mm. love that that was so well said that's beautiful i feel like this is also would make a great like meditate like visioning it like when you're meditating right Totally. And, you know, when I do the class, that'll be part of what we'll be doing because there, there's often in, in the Indian tradition and in many of the meditations that I love to practice, there is this symbol of the lotus in the heart. And mm-hmm. in India, they talk about the energy that moves up through the chakras. And I'm sure your, your, your listeners, you've done calls where people have talked about the chakras right mm-hmm. yeah yes, that's not right. so so one of the things that we know is that when the energy the kundalini energy moves up through the body through the first three chakras and actually activates the heart energy the anahata chakra there's literally what they say is a flowering of the heart and that flowering of the heart is this kind of it's it's almost like the awakening of the lotus in the heart. It's a different, there's a different quality of our life when we've moved out of these lower vibe energies that many of us get stuck in in our life. You know, the security and safety of the first chakra, the muladhara, or that seeking for pleasure 
and passion that happens in the second chakra or even power, which is more of a third chakra energy where we're trying to be in a place of control. A lot of that, we could think of that as kind of grounding for people in the beginning of our life. We have to, we have to manage these areas of our being, both physicality and the physicality of our being, um, and also in our emotional and psychological life. And it's not until the energy kind of grounds itself and and we feel a sense of fulfillment in those areas that the energy can open the heart and the flowering of the heart happens. And that's when we're much more able to connect not only with the truth of who we are as individuals, but we're able to connect and see the other in a way and accept the other, and we're able to connect with the presence of the divine. So the flowering of the heart and that lotus in the heart is a deeply spiritual aspect of the spiritual journey and the journey of awakening and and the journey of enlightenment. Oh, I love it. Love, 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 love all of it. Um, I also wanted to talk to you about everybody's favorite B word, boundaries. We all have our opinions. Oh. We're all trying to, we're all trying to, you know, establish stricter boundaries. And I wanted to get your insight. You say that boundaries are grounded in fear. What does that mean exactly? Yeah. So, you know, this is such an interesting thing. <laughs> Um, I'm not. I'm not saying that people should stop creating boundaries if mm-hmm. they are in any way threatened in their lives, okay. because there are situations where we need to put up physical boundaries, or we need to say, you know, I, I no longer want to engage with this person. But the key thing here is that the, when we have that need to put up a boundary. We've already separated ourselves. We're not, we're not feeling our connection and our oneness with life in any way. And so there is this sense when, when a boundary is needed, when we internally say, mm-hmm. oh, oh, I need to put up my boundaries, you know, and people tell you to do that all the time. Oh, you need a boundary around that. It, it's, it's literally a metaphor for sure unless you're building mm-hmm. a wall, which, you know, that's a whole other subject we're not going about there. But so the thing is, we don't need, we don't have the inner needing need to have that if there isn't a sense of separation going on, and separation mm-hmm. is fear driven. It's the sense that there's something about the other that is threatening to me in some way. There's something about the other or the situation that I'm not able to deal with. I have. I have to push myself away from it. I have to resist it. I have to separate myself. I have to, you know, leave, what, abandon, because a lot of us have those issues of being abandoned when we were kids. And so that's kind of like our, that's our boundary thing there. If somebody pushes our button, we're like, I'm out of here kind of thing. But the key thing as we move in a deeper spiritual journey, the key thing is to look inside ourselves and to have awareness of what's really going on inside. Because for many people, the boundaries have been there for years and years and years, you know, and they're never, if once you put the boundary up, there's this kind of false sense of, oh, you know, I don't have to deal with it. 
it's not really mine. That person is so angry. I mean, whatever the story is. But right. the only the only reason that we're feeling that is because there's a disturbance inside of us. There's an Ooh. inner conflict inside me that causes me to feel I need to separate from this person. And it's not the person. It's the inner state that is distressed and upset and in a sense, in, in, a, in a conflict that, that wants the boundary. And so I think, in a way, I kind of think maybe there's some kind of, I never thought about this before, but maybe there's some kind of way to move through situations like this where people might start out with a, like a really um, impermeable boundary. It's like, okay, the wall's going up. I'm not talking to this person. I'm not going to see this person. And then I'm going to do my own work and I'm going to see what's really going on. I'm going to really mine that inner state. And eventually then the boundary becomes a fence. So you can see through, but you can't move. You know, you're not getting there. They might yeah. be able to yell at you. And then eventually it becomes more like a, a veil. And it, then it becomes mm-hmm. permeable, like one of those walls that we see in, in sci-fi where you can just walk through the wall. You could come and go as you like, but it's still there until ultimately there's no wall there at all because you've cleared the energy inside yourself. So anyway, that just I just that just popped in my head as kind of a silly thing, but... But in a way, I think it has a lot of validity in terms of how we can't just, for people who are in a state of fear, running running fear mm-hmm. around a situation or a person, they can't just not have something to feel that sense of protection. Again, it's a first chakra thing for most people. Yes. It's yes. A, it's a it's a sense of safety and security, not so much in the physicality of the body, but more in the sense of the inner state and who I am as a person, my identity, my ego, um, all that kind of stuff that we uh, attach to ourselves. Oh my God, that was yeah, first chakra definitely. Well put, well put. So I guess you would say best tips with boundaries is to get out of that fear mindset, which I feel like is a common thing to say for a lot of problems that we're experiencing spiritually, let go of the fear easier said than done, but what else can they do? Okay. So I think let go of the fear is never going to work. It's never going to work. It's not letting go. It's not going to work because if you tell me to let go of the fear, what am I focusing on? I'm focusing on the fear. And so the, the the thing that I've learned, and, you know, it's interesting being a metaphysician and, and unity is a very metaphysical spiritual tradition. Um, mm. and, and although it's based in, in the Bible and especially the teachings of Jesus, it's a metaphysical interpretation of all of those things. And so the idea that we can actually say that we're going to stop doing something, okay. um, to me, is just like, eh, it's never really worked for me. But what I've right. learned in my in my work with India and with the teachings of, of Akam and, and oneness is to be able to sit with and actually feel whatever is going on. And they've taught me this absolutely amazing practice that is a three-minute practice called the Serene Mind Practice. And it's a way to 
help us move out of any disturbance that we're feeling. So it could be fear, it could be anger, mm-hmm. it could be inner stress, uh, anxiety, confusion, whatever, whatever the thing is, right. you know, that's causing the mind to be flapping around and we've got mind chatter going on and we're anxious and the body's upset and, uh, and sweating or whatever. So this serene mind practice, it's an amazing teaching that actually activates uh, through the breath, it activates the parasympathetic nervous system, which takes us out of fight or flight, and it moves us into a place in the brain that it, the area is actually, uh, scientifically, it's the mid-prefrontal cortex of the brain. But in India, it's called the Brahma Garbha, the Brahma Garbha, which means mm-hmm. the womb of consciousness where new it's literally where new neural networks are formed in the brain and so this very simple practice which if you like i'll I'll take us through um sure it it moves us out of the activity of the amygdala and the kind of fight or flight craziness of the brain it takes us to a place where new neural networks are formed so you can't hold you can't hold both those things at the same time and so even though it's a very short three-minute practice it breaks the pattern, which is all we need in the moment is to break the pattern. Ultimately, for some people, if they've got a real chewy issue that they're dealing with, you know, I have a girlfriend and she was saying she was dealing with her husband lost his job and she's thinking about mm-hmm. a divorce and they're living in the house in COVID during COVID oh in this little apartment. She said, I did serene mind like eight, ten times a day. Because oh, wow. it kept, you know, I just, I just kept chewing on that bone of like, right. when's he going to get a job? I think I need to get a, you know, just that stuff yeah. was so stressful. And so eventually, you know, things shifted and changed. And I mean, she's a happy woman in another relationship and he got okay. a job and he's happy and they're, you know, divorced. But that, she was just able to move herself out of that right. stressful place. When we're in that place of stress, when we're in a place of fear, confusion, indis- we do not make smart choices and decisions. No, we don't. And so it's a very key thing for us to learn how to do this. I think so. I think so. Okay. That makes a with- lot more sense now. So also with ego games, what are like the common ones that we tend to find ourselves in and play? <laughs> You're kind of About running through ego. tons of, you, you, you've got like, uh, these are like multiple classes that people, but I'm, I can yeah. touch on a couple of them. So, so <laughs> I want everyone to get a little piece of you. <laughs> give me more, give me more. Um, so I can tell you one of my personal favorites is I'm right. It's an ego game okay. that most of us play. And okay. the parallel to that game is you, you're wrong because, you know, mm-hmm. I can't be right without you being wrong. So, you know, that's that's just such a control freak game. And it's a beautiful way for us to begin to notice how the ego wants to be right. And it's really interesting. I've been talking to um, to a friend lately who she had kind of an issue with someone. And it was it was it was a control issue. You know, we I don't know about you, but I hate to have people tell me what to do. Yeah. Just like. I just hate it. And maybe it was from being a kid and your mom telling you what to do all the time, you know. But mm-hmm. but anyway, she had this issue with this person 
and it was just really bugging her. And she called me and we talked. I listened because that's always a good okay. thing to have somebody to listen to your issue and not judge you in any way, you know. And and what I said to her, she said, I just want to call her and like, you know, tell her. And I said, well, it would, it'll be good for you to do that. But first of all, you have to call and speak from a very calm state. You can't talk from this agitated state. And the other thing that's really important is you need to let go of the past of all the things that you thought she did wrong and you were right about. And that's kind of a, a sort of a, I would say, it's graduate school in learning how to deal with our ego games. Because most of us can we can easily identify when we have this need to be right and we're controlling people. But then when we want to kind of create a sense of connection in the relationship again, a lot of times what we do is we go in and we tell them how wrong they were. We blame them. And then that whole defensiveness starts, the defense game starts up again. The balls go back and forth. Well, you said that, but this is what I meant, but you didn't understand. And it's, you know, it, you're back, you're off and running. And you don't, you, get, you don't get the connection that is what you really want in your heart. So ego games for us just, again, to have an awareness when we've got that need to be right and notice how making someone wrong does not does not further the connection that we have with that person. And so sometimes, you know, like I had a friend, he was a Tai Chi teacher. He said, you have to learn to give the right away. You just kind of, even though you might know that you're right, you can let somebody else be right. And sometimes because they're wrong, they hit the wall. You know, they just realize that, that they made a mistake rather than you having to tell them. Oh, so I wish I heard that before. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Well, you know, in relationships with partners, yeah. you know, we just we get into these crazinesses about it. And you can also start making a joke about it. And then it really lightens things up a bit when you start being aware that it everybody plays it. It's not, you know, it, it it's not a it's not something that's a secret in the world. That's for sure. Right. <laughs> right. Right. Oh, OK. Love this. Loved all of this. So where can everybody find you to talk to you, get more knowledge, oh. some more wisdom? How can we Well, there are a couple of things. I, I just did a um a chapter in the Ultimate Guide to Self Healing, which is volume five. It's like she's been doing this forever. So I've well, got a chapter in there and a tool in the Ultimate Guide to Self Healing chapter volume five, I've got a tool on finding yourself in transition. And uh, it's a really simple self-healing tool that people can practice. Um, so that's one place they could get the book. I think it's on, you can get it online, you know, as, as a Kindle or something, as well as a paperback. Then I have a website, Patricia Keel, uh, K-E-E-L.com. And the, uh, there are a couple of classes that are there that are there are some meditations that are free the serene mind is there there's a meditation called the soul sink which is again a meditation that i learned from india where you're activating your fingers counting on your fingers and that does other wonderful things to the brain so patriciakeel.com you can find also the self-healing practice that's in my book 
is in is uh, explained on my website. Uh, and then there's a link for coaching if anybody wants to uh, have a free coaching session to see if working with me is something they'd like to do. They can just click on the little coaching button and set up, set up a jumpstart coaching session for for half an hour. Um, I'm pretty available. Awesome. And then I also I also have a morning meditation that's free every morning, and actually it's the same time as our call today. So I'm I have other friends that help me with the meditation, but we usually do. We do a uh, we do the soul sync meditation, which is about 15 minutes, starting at eight o'clock Pacific, and then we do every day a different thing. On Wednesdays, it's the chakra dhyana, so we activate all the chakras in a meditation. Thursday mm-hmm. is a health practice that we do, and Friday we do a very powerful chakra meditation called Ananda Mandala. And at the end of every morning, we give a very intentional blessing called a diksha which can be done on hands-on or it can be um, a blessing for healing, uh, for connection, uh, can be done virtually online. So usually we have 30, 35 people from all over the country. You know, we have somebody from Russia, somebody, people from a couple of other countries awesome. that pop on. And it's totally free and people can pop on. And again, the link is in, it's in my website. It's probably the easiest way to find my, my Zoom, uh, Zoom link but. Lots of ways people can find me, and I'm in California, and we're doing some live Diksha events now. So if anybody's in the San Francisco Bay Area, uh, you should just go on my website and connect with me, and I'll get you on my mailing list, and you can come to one of our big Diksha events that we're doing. Awesome. Sounds so much like so much fun. Thank you again for coming on and wishing you best of luck. We'll speak soon. Thanks so much, Davina. Great to be with you today. Namaste. Of Namaste. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. I just wanted to give you a friendly reminder. If you like what you're listening to, if you like my content, if you like my podcast episodes, I really appreciate ratings on Apple, reviews, subscribe, share to your friends, family, anyone you really think would benefit it. And thank you always for the support.